As we turn the pages of our Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we find the Apostle Paul addressing a spiritual high that the first century Corinthians were experiencing. The Apostle presents some of the most sage advice to people, even spiritual people, who begin to live just for a burning sensation instead of the carefully thought out truth of God's Word. We have spoken previously on Truth Encounter about the coldness that results when one just worships God with her head. But now Paul balances his teaching by talking about some of the dangers of worshiping God just with your emotions. Getting high is not the ultimate purpose of your life or mine. Here's Dave to explain from 1 Corinthians chapter 14 why not. Why did someone take drugs? I think that's a question that every parent asks when they find out that their young person has gotten involved in drugs. And a lot of adults, I find out, feel they're very perplexed about that. And they'll say, how in the world could anybody ever take drugs? Because look what it does to your body. Look at all the negative effects. And so what we as adults do is we get everything cranked up and we start to teach the kids how terrible it is for their body and how it will tear their life apart, and it will take away their motivation, and it destroys legitimate human relationships. And yet, we'll have a kid that knows all of that. In fact, we'll have kids that know a whole lot more about drugs than we do. They know a whole lot more about the effects of it. They still do it. Why? Because in our society, the ultimate criterion for a meaningful life among many people in our society is the moment of high. You see, what, what a straight person doesn't understand about drugs is the average drug addict knows that it could destroy their life. But who cares? If I get one moment of rush, one split second of the ultimate experience, then that's all that counts. In fact, in our society, we not only have it in the illegitimate area of drugs, which all of us that are straight would say, how horrible, how could anybody ever live for that? But in our society, we often talk about the runner's high. You ask the average person, anybody that runs more than four miles a day does not do it just to stay in shape. The person that runs more than four miles a day runs because when you run about three miles at a good stiff pace, the last mile, you don't think straight anymore you get lost in what's happening you're through the pain some of you say I've never reached that point but you really do you go through this time where it's agony where you can't breathe but when you keep running right on through that you have a tremendous peace you feel like you can run forever and your rational process is kind of just fading to the background and you just run it feels great the runner's high. And that's, you know, a, a, a legitimate fix that a lot of people get into. Nothing necessarily wrong with it unless it becomes the focus of an entire life. And I've even seen entire family relationships blown apart because of beginning to worship that moment or those many moments of a runner's high. A musician. Any of you that are, are very much into music, will appreciate the idea of a musician's high. And some, I think probably all of you have had the experience 
where you put the earphones on one of those stereo players. It's the greatest way to listen to music because nobody else is bothered by it and you're overwhelmed by it. And it's coming right into your eardrums at the closest level possible and it feels like you're sitting right in the middle of an orchestra and it can just send you on a legitimate musician's high. The problem is that as American believers and American citizens, this has become the reason for living. This has become the reason for existence. As we gather together, are we here to get high? Many believers across the United States gathering together to worship, if you were to analyze why they're gathered together, it's to get high. The ultimate expression of this is TV church. Now, not that there's anything inherently wrong with TV church. I mean, you can listen to some good people, but you can sit there on a Sunday morning, sit in an easy chair, and you can get your coffee, and you can have somebody get you high. Now, maybe you're not going to be peeled off the ceiling like a runner's high or like a musician's high. I think one of the biggest highs that I have in my own life is barefoot skiing. People say, why do you like to do that crazy thing? Because it's just an unbelievable high to be flying across the water at 40 miles an hour on your bare feet. Honestly, it sends you. You know, and then you, it really sends you right into the water, just bang, like that. But the reason a guy does that, or a girl does it, is there's a high in that. There's an exhilaration in that. That's what TV church can do. It can get you built up. It can meet your needs. In fact, if you even listen to the terminology of believers, we talk about the church meeting my needs, the church having the right programs in order to meet our needs. And what we do is we start to look into ourselves and we're asking ourselves, am I getting high? Now, I want to share with you, just like I mentioned, there are legitimate highs, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with having tremendous moments of uplift and tremendous times of emotional experience. And we're going to be talking about that in 1 Corinthians 14. But something is very, very wrong in our church family's life, in any church family's life, if we begin to focus on what's happening to me. Because Paul tells us, under the inspired revelation of God, that we need to get out of what's happening to me and start getting into what's happening to others. How am I building up others? How am I encouraging others? 1 Corinthians 14 has a very unique spiritual high. I think if you went to the Corinthian church in the first century, it would literally blow your mind. Because in the Corinthian church, we go back to the first century, we gather together in Corinth, maybe we're meeting in one of the large homes, maybe we're meeting outside in a large courtyard, maybe there's 125 people there, maybe 75, I don't know exactly how many, but we would all gather together and we would wait. You'd say, what would you do? We'd wait for things to happen suddenly the Holy Spirit would begin to move and someone would stand up and sing. They would sing a praise to God, extemporaneous. Can you imagine that? I mean, it was really something. 
then somebody else would stand up and they would give a prophetic revelation. In other words, the Holy Spirit would take control of their ability to communicate and they would give us a message from God. For example, you might be sitting there and if, if the Apostle Paul was there, suddenly the Apostle Paul would stand up and he would give us 1 Corinthians 13. Love acts patiently and is kind. Love never acts in a shameful way. Love never is puffed up or boasting. Can you imagine being in a service where a man stands up and he gives a prophetic message like 1 Corinthians 13? That's what happened, honestly. Another believer would stand up and they would begin to speak in a language that hardly anybody in the room could understand. In fact, exactly what this language was, we don't know. Perhaps at times it was a human language that was not the normal language of the group. It would be like, like suddenly Alexandra standing up and speaking to us in German, only she never studied, Ger never studied German. It wasn't her native speech. She'd just give it to us in German, and none of us would understand it. It was partly that. It's also possible that sometimes these Corinthians stood up and they spoke in a heavenly language that nobody on earth could understand because I don't know what the language of heaven is, but it's possible that 1 Corinthians 13 says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Maybe the Corinthians sang some angelic language or spoke in some angelic language. And there's a lot of debate in the church over exactly what the phenomenon of 1 Corinthians 14 tongues was all about. And I'm not sure there's enough information to categorically nail down exactly what it was. But these individuals would stand up and they would begin to praise God in this ecstatic language. They would give thanks to God. They would give praise to God. Only nobody in the group understood what was happening. But the 1 Corinthians 14 tells us it was a very uplifting, exhilarating, spiritual high for the person that was doing it. You see, they were becoming intimate with God. The Holy Spirit was upon their personality and they were praising God. They got out of themselves. They were not rational anymore. They were caught up in a subjective experience of God. And it was a great experience for the Corinthians and it was a legitimate first century experience. It's absolutely clear. Paul never, never said it was not a legitimate first century experience. And as we enter the debate of, over whether or not, which the church often debates today, whether or not it's a legitimate experience today, I think before we can even begin to answer that question, we need to hear clearly what was going on in Corinth and the concerns that Paul had before we jump and say, well, we need to reproduce the Corinthian church. And then before we take sides about that. The point of 1 Corinthians 14 is this. It was an unbelievable, personal, spiritual, legitimate high to be able to speak in tongues. And the Corinthian church said, that's it. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 14 because evidently when you came to the Corinthian church, everybody stood up. And they all started speaking in tongues all at once, a whole bunch of them. I want you to just imagine, you've come in, this is the first time you've ever been in church. Can you imagine if all of a sudden about 50 people stood up, they were all talking at once, they were all speaking in a language that you've never heard before, and you're in, you came because maybe the Holy Spirit prodded you during the week, 
and you said, I need to start getting some answers to this question of who is Jesus Christ. It's about time in my life that I start making some legitimate inquiries about the person of Jesus. So you come in and suddenly 50 people all talking at once stand up. What would you think? What would that do in your life? What would happen? Well, I think you'd scratch your head and say, you know, these people are out of their minds. These people are insane. You know, what's going on? Because you wouldn't understand it. And that's what was going on in the Corinthian church. And 1 Corinthians 14 was given to us by the Holy Spirit. So in 1 Corinthians 14, let's turn there. 1 Corinthians 14. Let's turn to that section of scripture. 1 Corinthians 14, the theme of this entire chapter, and this is a central passage on, the, on this spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14. The key theme of the passage is that the reason that we gather together, our purpose in gathering together, needs to be not to get high individually, but to build corporately. Not to just have a spiritual experience within ourselves, but to be able to reach out to other members of the body of Christ and be able to build them up. First, verses 1 through 4 bring this out. Paul just nails his point down. Look at it, verses 1 through 4. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Follow the way of love takes us back to what we've been studying over the last several weeks in 1 Corinthians 13. If anybody asks you what needs to be the primary focus of the spiritual life, the primary focus needs to be a character of patience, a character of kindness, a character of forgiveness that doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And brothers and sisters, I go back to 1 Corinthians 13 constantly, kind of as my gyroscope to keep me on track about what's happening in my life. Because no matter how effectively we teach, no matter how many people we might be living to Christ, no matter how much money we might be giving, all the things that we tend to think, that's really the essence of spirituality. No matter how much we do that, if we don't have a character of love, it's nothing. So Paul reminds us that we begin chapter 14 that we need to be following this lifestyle of a character, a Christ-like character of love. But then he says that we need to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And that takes us back to the end of chapter 12, where Paul concluded that the Corinthians eagerly desired the spirituals. They eagerly desired to have the Holy Spirit move in their life. And that's a legitimate desire. I think it's very important for us to be desirous for the Spirit to use us in whatever way possible to build up one another and to reach out to unbelievers. And this chapter reveals that spiritual gifts are not static things. I think often we teach, you know, you get one gift when you receive Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and, and that's the static gift that you have. And that's the only gift that you could ever have. And there's no reason to ask the Lord to do anything else as far as your effectiveness in the body of Christ. I don't think that's true to the intent of 1 Corinthians 14. In fact, I think we need to pray, if you're a Sunday school teacher, I think you need to pray that the Holy Spirit will use you in the gift of teaching. If you're at work, you know, maybe at a big plant where there's a lot of unbelievers, 
And a lot of the people around you don't know Christ as your Savior. And you say, well, I'm not an evangelist. Uh, the Lord over the years hasn't seemed to really use me a lot in being a fruit picker. But I'm in the middle of an orchard where everyone really needs to respond. I need to be an evangelist. I think it's very legitimate to pray, Lord, make me an evangelist. Because these gifts are not just static. Let's ask the Lord for a gift of administration. Because I sure don't have it. And you administrators go nuts with people like me. Because I'm trying to figure out what the Greek word of 1 Corinthians 14, I might run right through a stoplight thinking about that and forget all about the fact that we need communion cups for Sunday night. So we arrive and we've got to all run out five minutes before the service and buy communion cups because I'm not into that. So we do need to pray for the different manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit. All different ones. Administration helps, mercies. And I just praise the God. I've, I think I've seen so much evidence of the Holy Spirit using you to build up one another. So many of you have exercised the spiritual gift of helps. So we need to desire earnestly these spiritual gifts. And don't think of it being a static thing. That your personality is just locked in. The Lord can never use you in a different way. How do we know? how the Lord might desire to use us. And so earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. But Paul tells the Corinthians, especially that you might prophesy. And this leads us to the discussion that Paul's involved in in 1 Corinthians 14. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul's going to take prophecy and lay it aside the gift of speaking in tongues. In the first century, there was no debate about whether or not tongues was a legitimate spiritual gift. It was. So I want you, to, as we go through this chapter, to first of all, look at it from the perspective of a first century Corinthians. I think it's the only way you'll understand Paul's point. I think so often we approach this chapter, a non-charismatic quote-quote person approaches it from the standpoint to stomp on the charismatic movement. A charismatic person approaches the chapter to stomp on the non-charismatics. And we both get in our camps, and I think both of us end up many times missing the whole point of what Paul is saying. Paul is not in a polemic arguing, when is tongues going to cease? Is it legitimate for all the church age? Those aren't Paul's concerns. So let's begin, before we ask some of our concerns, let's begin by asking what Paul's concerns were. What Paul is telling us is that the spiritual gift of prophecy is more important in a gathered community of believers than uninterpreted tongues. That's his point. And his basic point is this. The reason that is so is that a church family needs to gather together not to get, but to give. A church family needs to gather together not just to get high, but to build up somebody else. Now that's a very simple idea, and I've been dwelling on that idea the, idea the last couple of weeks, but it is a mind-boggling idea. It is such a different orientation, but we need to see it clearly. Because one thing that's absolutely unarguable in this passage is that Paul wants a body of Christ for all ages till Christ returns to gather together to meet one another's needs. When we get through here, all of us, all of us should have been able to give to someone else. 
we should have all been able to participate with somebody else. Our orientation should be that we can help someone to draw, to draw closer to the Lord. The body needs a chance to act for itself. It's sloppy at times. Sometimes it doesn't, it's, it's not as smoothly orchestrated as it might be if professionals just set up. Brothers and sisters, many church families, it's already pre-orchestrated. And it's set up just like I would write the theme of a movie. When you watch a movie, it's all set up to get you to a great climax where you're going to really get high. Whatever it is, those are, are authored to get you to a great emotional pitch so you go out and say, wow, it happened. We do the same thing in church because we're Americans and we like to get high. Nothing's orchestrated here. We've gathered together as just common people. And this is just a regular day, only it's special because we have made it the Lord's Day because this is the day that we've gathered together. And our goal needs to be, even as we're sitting here, that we're going to be able to build, that we're going to be able to help someone draw nearer to the Lord. And Paul was telling the Corinthians, they had made the personal high the ultimate goal of their service. They focused everything on the spiritual gift of this, this unintelligible utterance that would take place among many of them. And Paul is trying to convince them that an intelligible revelation from God, a prophetic message that everybody could understand, was much more important in their gathered community of believers than the unintelligible, individual, private worship that got them individually high. And that's what he's saying in verses 1 through 4. Especially the gift of prophecy, verse 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. In other words, whatever the Corinthians were doing, it was a prayer. They were praying to God. Indeed, no one understands him. It was unintelligible. First of all, it was a prayer to God. These are things we can nail down about tongues that we know is very accurate about what the Corinthians do were doing. They were praying. Second of all, it was unintelligible to the other people in the audience for the most part, except maybe someone who had the gift of interpretation. No one understands him. And he uttered mysteries with his spirit. The idea of mysteries in 1 Corinthians are special insights that come to an individual by a direct revelation from God concerning the plans and purposes and characters of God. One of the mysteries that the Lord revealed to Paul in a revelation was the fact that he was coming back. Another uh, mystery that Paul had profound insight to was that there would be a church like ours, a body of Christ, where you could be Jew and Gentile united together as one. Paul saw this profound insight into the plan of God that after Christ ascended to the right hand of God, God would no longer deal exclusively with Israelites and everyone that was going to be related to, to God needed to become an Israelite, needed to be related to Israel. Instead, God would open the sheepfold and you could come in as a Gentile. It was a profound mystery. doesn't seem that profound to us, but in the first century, it was a profound 
alteration and change and progression in the work of God. It was a mystery. No way Paul could have figured it out by himself. It was a revelation of the secret counsel of God. And how I praise God for this alteration in the program of God as he threw open the door for all, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, male or female, all on an equal footing can become part of the family of God. I am praying that each of you will walk through this open door of salvation, that you will allow Christ to give you the gift of new life. In fact, if you would like to, you could put your confidence for eternal life in Christ's promises right now. Simply talk to the Lord and say something like this, Dear Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner in need of your forgiveness. Thank you. Thank you that you took the punishment that I deserved when you died on Calvary. I believe that you rose again from the dead. I invite you into my life. If you talk to God like this and meant it, based on Christ's promise, you have now become a child of God. 